Welcome back to Travel Support Thursday, number 10. Ah, it's so nice to be back. <laughs> one. We Ooh. were gone for a little bit. Yeah, yeah. And I feel like we need to celebrate the backness of this, you know, being back at backness. home. I feel like we got to celebrate the being backness of this, right? Like, it's exciting. Back at home. Back, recovered up. from our cold. Yes, all that stuff. And there's only one right way to celebrate that, you know? Travel Thursday. Thursday. Wow. Travel Thursday. We're back from New Zealand. And we have a new channel. <laughs> so what we originally wanted to do is to keep this podcast right here on this main channel. Just mm -hmm. kind of put all of our stuff in one home. But the YouTube algorithm, for as smart as it is, is also pretty dumb. <laughs> <laughs> it's also pretty dumb. So what it was doing is it wasn't really like separating the audience for, let's say, people that are just interested in the podcast. Mm -hmm from the people who are also interested or maybe just interested in our three days and X videos. Mm -hmm. So it was showing our podcast videos to people who are just not all that interested in it. And then we were getting all sorts of like confused comments like, hey, where are your three days and X videos? What's going on mm -hmm. with that? You're releasing too many of these. We totally get that and we understand that. But we love making this podcast and we love answering your guys' questions and helping you in the most direct way that we can think of. And we definitely want to keep this thing going. And that's the intention. It's just, you know, we just got to make the YouTube algorithm happy. All you got to do is just click on the link down in the description. That'll lead you over to our new channel called Travel Support Thursday. Hit subscribe. Really we'll helps us out. Right back in business, making these things every single Thursday, answering your questions. It'll be great. It'll be great. And the jingle lives on. And the jingle and the jingle lives on. So all future Travel Support Thursdays, as well as all the previous ones, all of them are moving over to that new channel. This is gonna be the last one that's right here on the main channel. And we're just leaving it here as like a big signboard for people who came to our main channel looking for a podcast to say like, hey, go on over there. <laughs> go on over there to the podcast channel. Today on our 10th Travel Support Thursday, we're <laughs> answering your questions about where to stay when you're in Japan. We're talking about new boarding policies for airlines and what we learned from our New Zealand camper trip. So our first question comes from Bethany Hopkins, 1495, who asks, do you have any recommendations on where to stay in Japan for a first time one week trip? Hotels versus VRBO rentals. She's flying from Honolulu. Cool. I mean, I, I guess there's a lot of different ways you can tackle this question. Is it questions about where physically you should stay? Mm -hmm. Like what locations, what city in the entire country? Or is this yeah. a hotel versus like, is this accommodations question? So I can say concretely that if it was my first time going to Japan and I only had a week, I would spend that week in Tokyo. Mm -hmm. That's where I would go. My first solo trip was to Japan and I think I did about a week. And I think, I I mean, it was a jam-packed week, but I spent three days in Tokyo, mm -hmm. three days in Osaka, and two days in Kyoto. So that's like eight days. That's so fast. <laughs> and then I made my way back to Tokyo on the way back and flew out. Okay. So... It is really, really fast, but I think it's very doable, especially if you've only got a week. Yes. But I think the more interesting question is, mm. like, would I stay in VRBO versus would I stay in Airbnb, Airbnb or, or what What would I do? And so we have, I think we've solved this. So after all of our trips to Japan, yeah. we've kind of like circled into this idea that the right way to do it, for us at least, is to stay at a hotel that has an onsen built into it. Or sento, as or they call a sento. public yes. bath, as we yes. call them. And there are a couple of different brands of hotels that have these that are in like the budget category. And one yeah. of them is definitely Dormy Inn. <laughs> and we 
love the Dormian yes. hotels. We've heard that a lot of these hotels actually, if you sign up for their like rewards program, if you could figure out how to like do the translations and sign up, you get discounts actually. Yes, yeah, yeah. And it's great. And there's also this new kind of new chain called Super Hotels yes. that also has onsens built into it. And all these, depending on where you stay in the country, are somewhere between like 55 and $110 per night. They're all yeah. like right in that range of hotels. And it's so insanely luxurious yes. to just have access to this like public bath onsen that I would honestly give up any other hotel perk, including literally a comfortable bed. The, to start with, the hotels in Japan are just next level. Mm. And I think I I never grew up loving hotels, to be honest. When my family and I would travel, I dreaded staying in hotels. And maybe it was because they were always like Hotel 8s, Motel 8s, whatever they're called. Mm -hmm. You know, they weren't. The only hotel that I really felt remotely interested in was Doubletree because they had chocolate chip cookies <laughs> and they were warm. But I always ended up, this is going to sound really, really gross, but I always ended up invariably with an eye infection huh. or some kind of like, some kind of bug bite, something that just didn't make me sleep well. So I, I craved home. I hated going to hotels. And then we started traveling in Asia and and Japan specifically. The hotels are, you know, they're, 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 they're tiny, but mm -hmm. they're efficient and they're super clean. Yeah. They're super detail oriented. Like the amenities mm -hmm. is really next level. Like <laughs> oh, yeah. every single hotel we've stayed at in Japan, you get, you get access to little combs, toothbrushes, face lotion, face toner, like all these things. Plus the public bath. And do you remember that place in Oita that we stayed at that literally gave you noodles at night before you go to bed? They just made you fresh noodles and you could just go down and get them and they were absolutely delicious. Yes. That was a Dormy Inn, by the way. Yes. So Dormy Inn, I mean, trust me, we aren't sponsored by them or anybody else. No. But they, we just, we just love their style of hotel. I think they really focus on the things we care about, mm. which are these like cool amenities, the public bath, things like that. And they absolutely cut back in basically every other way of stuff that we don't care mm -hmm. about. And that's and, perfect. And I know that a lot of people care about space and like where to put things in. Some people complain a lot about like the size of hotel rooms in Japan. But I actually think like if we're in Japan, we're we're using the room to sleep essentially. Yeah. Yeah. And and everything else. So so for us having that space isn't really that much of a necessity, but having access to the amenities is really really cool especially the ones that have the public baths yes also um i have a lot of feelings about this one it's just i love I, can you tell i love hotels now i forgot to talk about the robes the slippers that you get i mean just we may or may not have a few of those slippers uh right behind just, us <laughs> that we the, took the from those various hotels just our next level they take care of you. They take care of you. <laughs> so the other part of the question, Airbnbs, mm. VRBOs, et cetera. So I think the hostels in Japan are over, are great. All of them are great if that's the type of budget you're on. Yes, yeah. Airbnb and VRBO, unless you got a group of like five or larger, mm -hmm. I don't think it makes financial sense yeah. to go with it, nor does it make comfort sense mm -hmm. to go with it. I think a lot of the like Airbnb slash VRBO, and VRBO is not a big thing there. I'd really look at Airbnb first just for availability. Um, there's just, it's always some like really old apartment in generally some area of the city that you don't necessarily want to stay in. And I think with all the fees now, cleaning fees, yes. service fees, like it just doesn't, 
it doesn't offer you that much difference. I mean, we've definitely stayed in Airbnbs with friends in mm. Tokyo, I think specifically. Yeah. But like what we got for what it was, really, really we got the Airbnb so that we could all hang out together and that was the primary purpose. But the rooms themselves and the place itself didn't offer that much much more. No, no, not really much at all. Especially for the price. Yeah, like I think that this like hotel with the dope amenities and the built-in onsen, mm -hmm. I think that that's as good as it gets mm -hmm. for traveling to Japan. There are a lot of different options in Japan across the entire country mm -hmm. and specifically in the bigger cities like Tokyo, Kyoto, Osaka. It depends largely on if you're traveling by yourself or you're traveling with other people. But I think we're definitely, especially for the two of us, we're definitely into the hotel category. But I think one thing that, I don't know, I think everybody should try once at least in Japan mm -hmm. are the capsule hotels. Oh, those are really cool. Yeah. I wouldn't stay a week in a capsule hotel. Oh, maybe not. I no. would stay one night just to be like, Experience that was it. fun. Or yes. if I'm like the night before I fly out, capsule hotel is perfect for that. Yeah. But a week in a capsule hotel, I think would be a bit much. Well, but the only reason I say that is because when you're solo traveling, like I stayed exclusively in capsule hotels mm -hmm. because it didn't make sense for me to pay, you know, $100 a night, $80 mm -hmm. a night for I a see. big hotel room when it was just me. So I loved the the I I loved the availability of just rooms or bunk beds or just a small space to sleep in every single night, a place to store my luggage and a lot of them also happen to have the amenities that we talk about. Oh, right. Like the public baths. Yes. The Especially lotions, yeah, the one in the Osaka face, that we stayed at. Yes. Skincare there. Amazing. <laughs> I just, I can't get over it. And we almost, I would say we almost always use Agoda or Google to look at the areas that we want to stay in in Japan. And almost always Agoda and booking directly through the hotel has been the cheapest. Yeah, it's it's one or the other always. And it can be sometimes hard to find these hotels websites. So if you use like hotels.google.com, mm -hmm. it'll search all of the other various booking things. Like on the last one that we booked from, on the last one that we had, it was much cheaper through Priceline. Mm -hmm. Inexplicably, I would have never checked there. Not in a million years, yeah. but, uh, but that tool searches all of them for you. So I think that that's how we'd approach it. Probably like a couple of days in Tokyo, a couple of days in Osaka, a couple of days in Kyoto. Mm -hmm. It'd be a whirlwind of a trip and then yeah. trying to stay at like one of those dormians or APAs so that way you have access to an onsen as often as frequently possible. Yeah. I think that's how we'd approach it. Yeah. yeah it's yeah, yeah. funny that you say that that's a whirlwind trip when literally we have a three days in Tokyo video uh -huh. and a five days in Osaka and Kyoto video. Yeah. Just saying. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> I know that I, I know that not everybody has a lot of time. In fact, we frequently don't yeah. have a ton of time to do these things. But yeah, you're just gonna be like, go, 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 go every single day, you know. And after a week, you'd probably be you'd probably still be good. But if you did like two straight weeks of that pace, you'd probably be pretty mm -hmm. burned out. Pretty burned out. Okay. That's our approach. Yeah. We love the hotels in Japan. End of <laughs> For story. Sure. For sure. <laughs> For sure. Okay. So what about these new <laughs> what about Oh, These yes. New airline boarding procedures. Okay. Tell me the story. Lisa found this So one. I've been loving finding these articles, travel adjacent articles. But this one, this one caught my attention because some of the some of the headlines here are pretty, pretty divisive. United Airlines is changing their boarding procedures. So some of the headlines, new United plan for economy class boarding, window seats first, aisle seats last. United's boarding changes explained aisle seats go last. I mean, aisle seat people are going to hate this. Well, but I am a dedicated aisle seat person. 
to the core. Yes. You know, but I don't care when I get on. Well, I don't know. So starting October 26th, which is today, today, is today? Travel Thursday, <laughs> United Basic Economy Ticket Holders. All those who have window seats will board first. Then comes the middle seat people. Mm -hmm. Then comes the aisle seat. And all of this is because Whoa. United has determined that that this process will save boarding time by two minutes. Uh, sure. Yeah. I mean, it sounds more efficient, but also I think it's going to be chaos for I at least the first. People are going to hate it. Yeah. Because imagine if you're like traveling with your kids or your yeah. partner or whatever, and yeah. you're just like, well, see you later. And yes. then you're just trusting your like six-year-old to walk on the plane oh, by himself that, and get into the yeah, seat by himself without you there too. like what about those who have disabilities or what if yep. the elderly are traveling and so united specifically says that the process for people traveling with children people that are um, unaccompanied minors people with disabilities um people traveling in with families they will still get priority boarding mm-hmm and of course, I think people in the first class will get priority, but then everyone else will follow kind of this group method. And maybe it won't feel that different, except like we'll look at our tickets and maybe because I like window, I'll be like in group three, which mm -hmm. is the next one. And you'll be in group five. Right. Yeah. And, and I'll just a, say bye to you. It seems so. I just don't understand because it's not the most efficient way to board. Like you'd think the most efficient way to board a plane would be all the way from the back to all the way in the front. Mm. And if you had some way to just tell people all the way in the back to start, then you could just have the other people feeling. Because what takes the longest is people like putting the stuff yeah. up overhead and taking forever to do it. And, and then, then people waiting. never sitting down yeah. and people not being able to get past to people who are further back or people who want to go to the bathroom. It's all that. And you kind of alleviate all that by just boarding from back to front. Yeah. But they also, I don't know who cares about this. I guess I don't. Is like what order you get on the plane. Like why are there boarding groups at all? Like who cares and what, like who cares if you get, I, why would anyone care you that they don't care about what order? I no. don't know. There's something for me. I don't understand it at all. Why that would be like, it's like a status symbol, of course, but well, sure. status for what? You're just like sitting on this cold airplane for five minutes longer than other people. And sure. It does guarantee that you'll have like more overhead bin space for yes. all your stuff, but nobody brings stuff for the overhead anymore because it costs a billion dollars to do so. I don't know. For me, there's something about getting on the plane just, and just sitting there. And, and it's not even about like, it's not even about being, being able to be the first one. It's this feeling of, I want to get settled. I want to get yeah. settled. I want to put away all my things. I have a process of like putting things underneath my seat. I have a process for taking out all my headphones, all my gear, just so I can feel ready. And I hate, I hate being the mm. straggler. I hate being the one that's like, everybody's already all settled and I have to like squeeze in. So maybe some of this will be alleviated, you know, Kinda. by by letting you know, the middle seat people go first. And yeah, but then... still, you're going to get like a guy in row 12 or whatever who's all the way at the window. And then there's also going to be someone right behind them who's in row 27. And they still have to wait for row 12 guy to get all of his stuff sorted before they can go and do it. Yeah. Or they can go and like sit in their seat. It just, I don't, I could see how it would add more efficiency than what they're doing right now, which is basically just like everybody on the boat. <laughs> well, well, <laughs> well, based on your, they're kind of doing it efficiently based on like, location still but yeah there's always going no to it's be. just based on how much money you paid right now that's all it is is their fare class 
So well, if you no, pay for first like class, people... you're on first. And if you're in oh, basic really? economy, you're the last group, but you could be anywhere on the plane except for in that's... the first class cabinet. So oh, like, that's true. so they just say like everybody on, and it doesn't matter if you're row 10 on a window seat or if you're row 57 in an aisle seat or that's whatever. Everybody just- I just always assumed that they boarded the groups based on location of the plane. I never thought about that. Yeah, I no, assumed it's it all just, just how much money you paid. Huh. How fancy your ticket is gets you the group or if you have like a credit card or if you have status with them or things it's all based on like these like social status markers yeah way more than it is about efficiency so i think anything they do now is better be than what better than right the now. just than just everybody get on but still i think this is just going to cause more confusion for a very little gain and it's also going to like split people i up. think it's going to make people upset <laughs> it's i think out. that's the most I think that's the most, I mean, it sounds to me like two minutes and I, I obviously don't understand the world of flying and getting passengers on board and the time phrase, the timelines, two minutes to me doesn't sound like a lot, but this article is talking about how every minute counts and yes. every amount of efficiency matters. And so when your flight attendants are saying, sit down, sit down, like just sit down, you know, yeah. like. Because um, the flight attendants aren't getting paid until the doors are closed. And they can't close the doors until everyone's in their seat. Is that right? Yeah. So they, their pay doesn't start getting you on the plane. Mm -hmm. It's when the doors close to when the doors reopen. That's that's when they clock in and out. Gosh, I would love to hear if any of you out there are flight attendants, please chime in and tell us your thoughts on this. Yes. Because I, I assume that you guys have to deal with so... <laughs> so much stuff on a daily basis yeah. and I would love to hear your perspective and also would love to hear all of your thoughts. What would you do if you, if you're flying United starting today and from here out, this applies to like all domestic and also I think to some flights in Central and South America. Hmm. I, it just, it's like one other thing to think about when you're flying this airline, sure. you know, like with, with Southwest, for example, you yeah. know, that it's just going to be everyone's going to be in a big line and you're going to sit wherever wherever right? like you, can you, fit. you understand how that goes but with mm. united i understand why they did it but mm -hmm. i think with how many exceptions there are to how this thing works i just think people are going yeah to be so confused it, and it's just going to end up taking longer just in case you're flying united the process for pre-boarding groups such as unaccompanied minors people with disabilities families with small children and active duty military members won't change mm -hmm. and it also unremains and it also remains unchanged for boarding groups one through three which i assume is like first class fancy people um Not group us. <laughs> four will now be reserved for passengers with middle seats group five will be exclusively for those with aisle seats i just keep thinking back to you know how sometimes airlines in europe they board from both the front and the back yes, yeah. at the same time. I love that. And really, it just causes like absolute mass chaos because for some reason, people, when they're getting on a plane, can't figure out, am I in the back of the <laughs> boat or am I in the front? So then there's just people trying to walk all the way from the back of the plane all the way to the front. And it just makes the whole thing like it should be objectively way more But then efficient. you're always like trying to cross. Yeah. And there's yeah. like two directions, two schools of fish going. <laughs> yeah. And there shouldn't be. But it happens anyway. And I just think that like that problem is going to happen, but like 10x with yeah. this. United said that since 2019, their boarding times have gone up by two minutes. So they're hoping this new policy 
Uh, we'll shave those two minutes. And they've tested it at five different airports. I don't know how many flights they've tried it at, <laughs> but they said they found that it was faster. Okay. Well, we'll see. good if for them. If you guys experience it, let us know in yes. the comments below. If you've experienced this new boarding thing that's starting today. <laughs> so, yeah. It's called what? Wilma. I'm guessing, I know, I've been sitting here trying window, to figure out. Window, aisle. Well, I, L, windows in last. No. Last, I assume L stands for last, but I don't know. M stands for middle, A, aisle. aisle. Yeah. It's just window. Window, middle, middle aisle. aisle. So what's the I and the L? <laughs> Who knows? Are we missing something obvious here about how this acronym <laughs> works? Or I just, I feel real dumb that I can't figure out Wimal? Wilma. No, it's Wilma. But it's. But it's yeah, not, Yeah, I know, I know. But it's not. Maybe it's secretive. Huh. <laughs> we just got back from three weeks in New Zealand, driving around a camper van all the way from Christchurch down to Queenstown, all the way across the ferry, and then all the way up to Auckland. Basically, the entire country from south Feels to like north. like forever ago. It was a beautiful time. We yeah. had an amazing time there. And we're actually just about to fly off to Singapore and then Bangkok and then a handful of other places to start filming season two of this, like, three days and X and series we're currently, we've been making. currently deep, deep, deep in the cave for editing the three weeks in New yes. Zealand video. It'll be out soon. sometime, hopefully this weekend. We're hoping this, we don't, we just don't want to rush it. You know, yeah. we don't want to rush it. It's a big video. Three weeks. It's mm -hmm. how do you encapsulate three weeks <laughs> in such a beautiful country like New Zealand? I don't know, but we got to figure that out. But we're going to try. We, we are, we out. are in the process of figuring that out anyway. Yes. What we really wanted to talk about is three things that we thought went really well, three things that we thought that we like nailed on this trip to New Zealand that we had, and then three things that we would do totally differently. Yeah, three three things that basically we screwed up. Yeah, which <laughs> of which there's many more than three. So let's start with one good thing. One, okay. one, so the first good thing that I think of is that the actual camper van that we got, Sassy, oh. which you guys will be introduced to Sassy very soon in this She's video. She's amazing. Can't wait for you two to meet each other. Can't wait for you all to meet each other. Uh, this camper van was just the perfect size mm -hmm. and price and just the perfect vehicle, I think, for two people to go around New Zealand. We got what's called a chubby camper van, <laughs> which is like a kind of big minivan with a bed in the back that can also turn into a little like table thing. Mm -hmm. It's a Toyota it's a Toyota Hiace. And for those of you who have watched our channel from the beginning, you'll know that we've not necessarily had the best of luck with van life not, in the past. That's such an understatement. I mean, there was the very <laughs> first V1 clunk clunk, good old clunk clunk that we built out during the pandemic at the cabin and wow, she was beautiful and it was a it was a really really fun journey to build that with your parents, but she just didn't have it in her to keep going. No. The sprinter was just not not working. Version two was not too long ago, a couple of years ago, when we spent uh, a nice, I don't know how long it was even, a week, two weeks? It was supposed to be a month in oh. Australia mm -hmm. traveling in a camper van. Unfortunately, gosh, the weather, the floods, and the van just was not, not working for us. It, it did not end so well. Yep. And then the third time, good old sassy, third time's a charm. Yeah, third time's a charm. Everything went well for the first time in our van life history. Mm. Something like catastrophic, that's maybe an overstatement, but <laughs> so, some really gigantic, terrible thing did not happen that's during true. the process. And, and I was... think we started 
to get a gro- into a groove of it. And we'll talk about this more later. And I think in, of course, in the video, but I think the camper van journey, while it does bring a lot of challenges for sure, it's definitely not glamorous camper vanning. No. Um, no. It, it allowed us to see a lot of New Zealand in a lot of cool ways and experience the camping lifestyle. Yeah, absolutely. Bad thing. Mm. The time of year we went, our first our first mistake we made, I think, was this time of year we went. Mm. Not yeah. from a pricing perspective, we got a crazy good deal on the yes. camper van that we got, but it rained a third of the time we were there, mm-hmm. maybe a half of the days yeah. we were there. It was raining very frequently. I think there were definitely a lot of times as we were traveling through, like questioning, did we just pick the wrong time of year to come? Mm-hmm. Is this weather normally like this? I mean, we experienced a lot of extreme weather, unfortunately. And we know in New Zealand has unpredictable weather and there's a lot of changes that have happened in the climate in general. But it felt like there were times where, yeah, maybe we should have pushed back our trip a little bit. So we went... We went in September. We spent the entire month of September in New Zealand, which is kind of like their shoulder season. Um, It's generally colder at night. Like it dipped down to like the 30s sometimes. Yeah. Um, Maybe sometimes colder. Some days it would snow. Some days Mm -hmm. it would rain. Some days we would have fun. Mm -hmm. I think, yeah, but that's what I think that's what you get when you when you choose the off season, right? Like the campsites were almost always empty or yes. they were almost always available. They were really affordable. If I had to do it again, I'd do it like right now, end mm. of October, early November. Yeah. I think this would be the perfect time. It's much drier during this time of year, much warmer another like month and a half later and you're yeah. kind of getting into summer now. Yeah. It would also be a lot busier and maybe a little bit more expensive, but I think that we would have been able to do something every day instead of losing the days that we did because we were just waiting out torrential rainstorms or other things that were blocking our path. Good thing number two. So uh, a thing that we learned that we didn't know at first was that there are so many good free campsites. If if you have a self-contained sticker, which if you are going to New Zealand, you absolutely have to get one of those. In a van. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a sticker that goes on the front and back of the camper van that says, Basically, that you have a toilet inside of your camper van as well as a gray water tank. And that's called self-contained. And then that opens up this huge world of free campsites that you Mm -hmm. can stay at. There are hundreds, maybe even thousands of them throughout the country. And there were so many just staggeringly beautiful campsites. And so many free. I mean, we we made a couple of mistakes in the very beginning just staying at holiday parks. and. (laughs) The holiday parks are incredible, right? Mm-hmm. They come with all the like amenities. They've got the power. They've got the hot showers. But we found as we were driving that the $30 or $40, which, you know, is terrible that we'd spend on some of these nice holiday parks was just not not worth it because then you could stay at some of these incredibly beautiful like on the water, um, on the mount, on the water next to a glacier spot. Yes for free or for $10 sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. It was amazing. So many good campsites. In fact, so good that we actually could have done our entire three-week trip there without paying for a single campsite the entire time. Some of them were empty gravel parking lots, but incredibly close to the water, you know, but they they were incredible. Like for us, I think we're learning too that we don't need necessarily the all the comforts. Mm. 
um, when we're driving or camper vanning. Um, as long as you have a bathroom, I'm pretty good. So that leads on to mistake number two of our New Zealand trip here, which is that we drove a ton and mm -hmm. we were in a hurry. Yes. Almost the entirety of the time because of just how big the country is, how slow the driving is everywhere you go mm -hmm. and just how much we wanted to see. I think the mistake here is that we just underestimated how challenging um, driving here would be yes. and underestimated how much time we would need to see New Zealand. And I know that's the quintessential problem when yep. we're doing these travel, when we're doing these trips and travel in general, especially if you're from the US, you have a limited amount of time, but, and you want to see everything, but as a result, then you're, you know, you're, you're driving many, many hours at a time. You're constantly moving. You can't really enjoy sweet moments because you're just hopping to the next. Yeah. And that's what we were doing all the time. And I think to try to fix this, I think we would have tried to do less. Mm. I think we would have tried to do less, try to jam pack less things in. And we were just like, we were on such a tight time schedule that we would like show up in a place without even considering the weather before we got there. And then mm -hmm. we'd get there and it'd just be like pouring rain and we just couldn't do that thing. Mm -hmm. So we ended up wasting a day just because we were in such a hurry and we didn't yeah. really think so. I mean, even as you're saying that though, it's so hard because I think it brings back a lot of the conversations that we've had in the last couple of weeks about slowing down versus trying to seize the day and see everything because we don't have enough time in this right. world. It's just like that, it's that core problem. Like when you're traveling, there's so much that you wanna, you wanna squeeze out every last ounce, but then you also wanna savor the moments. Right, and I think I would have done, especially in New Zealand, especially on this type of camper van trip, we did way more savoring mm. and way less driving. I think I would have tried to tackle less mm. overall and like limited the scope mm -hmm. more of the trip. Would so you have stopped more? Mm, probably we did spend we like drove and drove and drove yeah, and drove every single day every single day for hours so i think i would have just tried to like do less try to just do less mm. and then go deeper into the stuff that we really like but then i think the things that were really really positive so this was my first time in the north island too mm. so we did both the south island we did two weeks on the south island right. and one week on the north island which i think was the perfect amount Asterisk, I wish we had more time everywhere. <laughs> right, right, right. But on the North Island, I think the surprisingly really cool and fun things that I didn't know that I would enjoy was Hobbiton and the Glowworm Cave. Oh, yeah. Both of those are great. And both of those are like mega touristy things yes. that generally we're not overly yes. attracted to or we like kind of avoid. Yeah. But we had so, so much fun. <laughs> it was such a blast at both of, bo both of those yeah. things. Expensive as heck. Yes. No question about it, but was just stunning and beautiful. And the Hobbiton was so esoterically nerdy and weird. Even though I'm wonderful. not like a, I've seen all the Lord of the Rings <laughs> and I know generally about the Lord of the Rings. I, I was like skeptical. I was like, I don't know that I want to pay that much money. But as soon as I got there, I was like, I'm into this. <laughs> I'm a Hobbit. I want to live here. Right. For me, it really reminded me to not write off touristy things just because they're mm -hmm. touristy. Like things are touristy for a reason and things are popular for a reason. We know that not everybody is going to be willing to pay things 
pay a lot of money to go see attractions like that. But there's something special about, for me at least, there's something special about these two experiences because they feel so specific to New Zealand. Yes. I don't, it was just such a cool experience, such a great experience. And I would add one more onto that. Mm. Going to Te Papa was definitely a big, I mean, that was, we could have spent days there at New Zealand's National Museum and we normally hate museums, yeah. <laughs> but. I think to like clump up this like good thing number three, like mm. the North Island was where also like, I felt like I just got a a better understanding. I don't want to say good because I don't pretend to understand completely the history and complexities of New Zealand, but it visiting Te Papa and seeing the North Island really helped me see how New Zealand is confronting their history and their present. Oh, yeah. Like, I won't go into too much detail because I, I'm not a history teacher and I, I, I don't pretend to understand what it's like to live there, but New Zealand in general and North Island specifically was where I I had core memories of seeing every single sign in both English and Maori, English and Te Reo Maori, everything. Yeah. I, I think, and then I had to think about the last time I actually remember seeing, I actually remember seeing languages like that everywhere where we live. And I'm still thinking and processing, you know, how to sum this up, but I felt like I left New Zealand and specifically the, the North Island with this, this overall question and feeling of like, what would our world look like if we all approached our cultures the way that New Zealand did? I know this is a huge generalization, but it was incredible, incredible to see every single sign in both English and Te Reo Maori, or it was incredible to see how much celebration of Maori culture there was. It wasn't just like, a, you know, you get a month here. Mm -hmm. And that to me was like my good thing, number three. Yes, the glowworm caves were awesome. Hobbiton was awesome. Touristy spots were awesome. But the North Island and just highlighted so many parts and so many aspects of New Zealand culture that we'd seen throughout the entire trip that just like capped it for me. Yeah, I feel like we really got to experience like a lot of different sides of New Zealand culture, especially once we made it to the North yeah. Island. It's very inspiring. Yeah, super yeah. inspiring. So for our final mistake in New Zealand that we made, we didn't budget enough money at all, yeah. <laughs> at all. Spoiler alert. I think $100 per day like we try to do everywhere can work in New Zealand, but you'd be sacrificing so much by trying to make it work that you'd just be missing out on way too much. Okay, so first, our camper van itself was 30 bucks a day, 30 US wow. a day. Uh, yeah, that's so a really good deal. A campsite each night, if you did decide to pay for that, mm -hmm. would be somewhere between like 20 $25 per night. We could have done it for free, but we didn't. Yes, and all then the time. gas per day, mm. if you're driving as far as we did, was like $50 to $60 US per day. Yeah, that so was the, probably the kicker. If the you kicker. just had those things up, you're already at $100 per day. No food, definitely no restaurants, definitely can't afford to go to Milford Sound, definitely mm -hmm. can't afford to do Hobbiton or you know any of the other things. Yeah. All you're doing is just driving all day, every day, staying in free campsites, and eating probably like spaghetti for dinner every single night. That is the $100 per day budget. And I think you'd just be sacrificing too much of the experience to try it on that one. But 
at like 120 or 130 dollars per day i think that opens up the possibilities a lot more and that's just like a couple hundred more dollars than we brought than we sure. normally would yeah so well and i think there's something different about a three-week trip versus a three-day trip anywhere. Like in a three-day trip, you're not traveling every single day. For you're sure. not taking a train every single day. Mm -hmm. you're, not, you're not driving every single day. So I think trying to see a big country and a place like New Zealand requires just more time and more budget. Yeah, more time, more budget. I think it's doable if all you wanted to do was drive and see New Zealand mm -hmm. and go on hikes because there are a ton, a ton of free things to do yeah. for sure, like free yeah. camping, free hikes, um, free museums. You know, there's so many incredible free things to do in New Zealand. But yeah, I think for us, we're learning that there are definitely some experiences that we just didn't want to miss out on. And so that required more of a budget than we planned for. Yeah, absolutely. And we got to see a lot of really, really cool epic oh, things. Yeah. Such a great time that we had in New Zealand. We can't wait to show you guys this video that's going to yeah. be coming out soon. Uh, that is it for today's episode. Again, please hop on over to the new Travel Support Thursday channel. Hit subscribe over there so that we can keep watching these videos. And uh, yeah, we'll see you next Thursday. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.